Smith and Perfect Ten. Well, it's that time again. It's 17 minutes past 12 on a Friday lunchtime. Very pleased to welcome uh, James Marsh to the show once more. Ready for the weekend, sir? Oh, just about, I think. Yes. Why not? <laughs> if the weather holds. I'm sure you, you, you've been having a field day while all this rain has been on anyway. Uh, just get, <laughs> getting down and dirty with some DVDs or out uh, still in the cinema or getting, getting through a lot of movies, I'm sure. Getting caught up. Yeah, definitely when the, the typhoon was a couple of weeks ago. Luckily, last weekend, when there were the flooding and the rains and everything, I was up in Shanghai enjoying glorious sunshine. So uh, I have managed to miss out on all of that, which it's, was uh, quite I know this is, this is a bit of a weird thing to say. And, of course, people, for people that, were, um, that suffered because of the floods, of course, we're very sympathetic. Mm. But I quite like the rain. I quite like that, that atmosphere when we're all sort of hunkered down. And, uh, yeah, um, nevertheless, we wouldn't want to... Um, you old romantic. ...raw any destruction <laughs> on people. And uh, Yeah, there you go. Um, all right. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I felt a bit of that during the typhoon a couple of weeks ago but but yeah it's a, it's a fine line i think i think we were all waiting for the third friday in a row the t8 mm. uh, two fridays ago and then last week the black raid what's going to happen today well i got soaked in the raid this morning but not nothing nothing oh, serious and uh, someone said to me i think it'll be a plague of locusts Oh yes, yeah. Well, that's that'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, frogs <laughs> falling from the sky or something. Um, it's funny that you sort of talk about sort of <laughs> such sort of terrifying imagery because for some reason, out this week, it's almost entirely horror movies. Okay, it's like Halloween has come a month early, and uh, you know we have four four big movies, three out in cinemas, one on Netflix, and they are all very you know very comfortably sitting within the horror genre we have a uh, haunting in venice which is uh kenneth branner's latest agatha christie adaptation where he's playing hercule poirot for the third time oh we have really? uh, again hmm. oh, yes yes yeah he's doing that again with the uh with his mustaches uh he's, with, he's gonna got... kind of he's gonna kind of beat peter Ustinov at this game isn't he uh you know because right because of course peter peter was that sort of 80s icon of agatha christie and uh he's He's the, the the goat, if you like. He's the OG, as far as I'm concerned. Although you know, Albert Finney did uh, played him in the the movie adaptation of uh, Murder on the Orient Express. It was the follow-ups, the Peter Ustinov ones. Yeah, Death on the Nile, Evil Under the Sun, Thirteen at Dinner. They were those were the ones that I watched over and over and over and over again as a kid. And that, so those are the ones ingrained in my mind. But of course, it was. Um, and I always get mixed up whether it was David Suchet or Peter Suchet. Which one was the actor and which one was the uh, was the newsreader? I think it was I uh, think David, David Suchet. Peter Suchet was the, was the actor, wasn't he? And Peter Suchet was the uh, was the newsreader. I think. I, but now you've got, you so, now you've got <laughs> me now you've got me wondering about that. Uh, we'll check that out in a minute. So Suchet uh, obviously you know played uh, Poirot very famously on TV, and I know it was his goal uh, to do all of them to mm. adapt every single Poirot uh, film and short story. And I think he got there by the end because they ended up doing about sort of 14 seasons of that show. And, you know, some of them, by the end, they were doing sort of three feature length episodes per season. But back in the first couple of seasons, particularly, where they were really sort of digging deep into all those short stories, uh, they were doing sort of, you know, 13 uh, hour long episodes per season or stuff. And so they got through them all because there were quite a few 
of them. I think in total, there's probably about sort of 35 novels and about the same number of uh, short stories just for just for Poirot. And then obviously you've got Miss Marple and 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 the other characters as well. Um, now, this what the one that attract the reason that this one was particularly of interest to me, A Haunting in Venice, is because it is an adaptation of a lesser known story a book called halloween party which came out in the late 60s at the time wasn't very well received i think people was i think Christie was starting to get a bit long in the tooth i think you know she'd she'd been spinning her wheels a little bit and you know repeating herself a little bit and the critics at the time weren't very um impressed with this one over time critics became a bit more favorable but it's really it's lifted the bare bones of that story and transplanted it to post-war Italy uh, to to actually quite impressive effect. Uh, we meet Hercule Poirot, played again by Kenneth Branagh, who also directs the movie again. Uh, it's 1947. He's living a very sort of solitary existence in Venice. He has officially retired. There are people queuing outside his front gates every morning, wanting to, uh, uh, you know, pick his little grey cells about whatever problem they have. But he's, you know, he's quite adamant. He's like, no, you know, I've just uh, want the peaceful life eating pastries and you know that basically doing nothing so until he is approached by ariadne oliver played by tina fey here now ariadne oliver is a character that does pop up in a number of the novels and she is a you, you wonder whether it's supposed to be an avatar for christie herself because ariadne oliver is a mystery writer who considers herself to be poirot's rival and just as you know just as good as he is at solving these crimes but she approaches him and says look i've been invited to a seance and you know, one of my hobbies is debunking, you know, mediums and the like. But this woman, uh, you know, I can't work out how she's doing it. You know, she might be the real thing. And so I want you to come along and, uh, you know, uh, observe and, and, and help me, uh, help me poo poo it. And the, the, um, the, the medium in question is called Mrs. Reynolds and played by, uh, Hong Kong's own Academy Award winner, Michelle Yeoh. Oh. Again, so that's, uh, she's back. Yes, that's it. She's, she seems pretty ubiquitous at the moment, but why not? Ride that wave as long as you can. That's what I say. Uh, so she has been invited to uh, to this seance in an old dilapidated palazzo in Venice that used to be a children's orphanage and is sort of said to hold a number of sort of ghosts and spirits and stories and legends of its own within these hallowed walls. Uh, she is invited by a... Um, a, a grieving woman called uh, Rowena Drake, played by Kelly Riley, who wants to get back in touch with the dead spirit of her daughter, who died under mysterious circumstances in that very house a year earlier. So what you have is a, you know, a collection of assorted types, including sort of Jamie Dornan, who plays a, a war veteran turned surgeon. You have um, little Jude Hill. If you saw Branagh's uh, last film, Belfast, Jude Hill is the little boy who basically plays the young version of Kenneth Branagh in that movie, and he's he's quite a a, a, t a talent, and he's uh, he's in there as well. And you've got a number of other characters in the mix. And then, as they assemble, you get about a dozen people assemble. Uh, a huge storm hits the city. They are basically locked in, and so you get this kind of classic locked room mystery. Where wouldn't you know it? Before very long members of this seance start falling down dead and <laughs> surprise, has surprise. a mystery exactly wherever he goes death follows and um 
so that essentially is the story. So you've got sort of two levels of mystery. It's like, uh, you know, he's looking, he's looking at this medium and going, okay, what's she doing? How's she doing it? Because obviously I don't believe in, in ghosts or the spirit world or anything like that. Uh, what did happen to this girl who died a year earlier? You know, and was there any foul play afoot there? And then when people start sort of uh, dropping <laughs> in the in the room that evening, it's like, okay, something else is going on. Is it perchance all connected? <laughs> and of course, if you know Agatha Christie, you know that yes, of course it is. Mm. Now the beauty, obviously, or well, beauty, frustration, or with most Agatha Christie stories, is that. Even if you kind of take a guess and get it right as to who's the murderer, you will never guess how or why. You know, her motives and her the backstories of her plots are always incredibly convoluted, using a lot of information that she doesn't present to the reader or the viewer ahead of time. And so you have to kind of just sort of go with the flow a lot of times with her, uh, with her stories. Um, but if you're willing to do that, I think they always prove pretty rewarding. And... Um, I mean, here it's interesting because the original Halloween party, the original novel, isn't set in Venice at all. It's set in, you know, country, you know, small village in the countryside in England, as are so many uh, Agatha Christie stories. Here, so they're very deliberately trying to keep the the franchise going, you know, after mm. Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. It's like big, starry, ensemble cast, exotic locations. Uh, you know, we've got to make this sort of as attractive as possible. And... Um, with in that regard, they do a really, really good job because I'd say probably, frankly speaking, uh, this is not the strongest mystery that Agatha Christie ever ever sort of uh, composed. However, Branagh does a pretty good job of um, of certainly shooting Venice. It's like off season, wintry Venice, and there are a number of films that sort of capture that. Most notably, uh, Don't Look Now, you know, the Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie mystery. Um, and there's something inherently kind of spooky and creepy about an old, you know, sit, creaky city like Venice, which is literally, you know, sinking into the sea uh, when there's nobody there. And it's, you know, it's just all these foggy streets. And like I said, there's a storm going and all the rest of it. So the mood and the sense of place and the location, you know, this transplanting it from the English countryside to Venice has worked very, very well. Um, he's also clearly trying to capture a sort of a haunted house kind of uh atmosphere to it and by and large that works occasionally um the pace does kind of slow almost to a crawl as they're just sort of uh drinking in the impending sort of doom and as he's sort of twirling his mustaches and uh trying to work out exactly what's going on it does get quite you know it does sort of get quite slow it's not like the paciest of thrillers but it is thankfully relatively short as well it comes in at about 105 minutes or something like that mm, so mm. i actually i quite enjoyed it you know despite the reservations that one i think has to bring to a lot of christie stuff is that you know it's you're not you're not there you're not um she doesn't let you in you know mm. you're not going to be able to crack the case yourself you just have to sort of sit back and and watch poirot do his thing <laughs> as it were but um if you're willing to do that, uh, I found, I quite enjoyed it. I quite I liked it more than Death on the Nile they did a couple of years mm. ago, mm. which felt very flimsy. It felt like they'd shot it all on green screen. You know, you never got that sense of place for Egypt and the pyramids that you certainly did in the old Peter Ustinov mm. one. Mm. Uh, so this is a this one has corrected a lot of those problems, even if admittedly it's not the strongest of of stories the knives out franchise that seems mm. that seems to be intruding onto the agatha christie franchise does it not 
Very much so. Very much so. And I did wonder sort of in the certainly in the early stages of this one, particularly when a character, you know, an actress like Tina Fey pops up, you know, a renowned comedian, you know, not known for her dramatic uh, weight so much as, you know, just how inherently funny she is. And when she sort of pops up and is quite a prominent character, you're like, is this them, you know, quite overtly acknowledging the fact that they need to ham it up a little bit and that they need right. to sort of um, essentially accept the challenge, the gauntlet thrown down uh, by um, by these uh, Knives Out movies. It's almost like what happened to the Bond franchise when the Bourne movies showed up. Mm. You know, they're like, oh, okay, okay, action movies have taken, you know, or a Fast different Or right? Yeah, while we've been doing our thing, or Mission Impossible, you mm. know, these other franchises that pop popped up and go, okay, we can do this too, and we are not beholden to the same, uh, you know, rules that you are. So, uh, yeah, so I, I mean, I think it can only be a good thing. It's kind of a bit of healthy competition in the market. Uh, you know, and I think, uh, I, I, it does feel like there is a, there is a, a soupçon, if you like, of acknowledgement that they need to be a little bit more fun, uh, because of that. A Haunting in Venice. That's the first one from uh, James Marsh. And uh, we'll be back with James in just a moment. The weather. Uh, the Brutal 2 with James Ross in for Phil. We are talking movies as we do on a Friday lunchtime with uh, James Marsh. We just did A Haunting in Venice. And uh, you've got a couple more for us, uh, James. What, what, what have you got coming up? The next one is uh, a more uh, sort of out-and-out horror movie it's more of a sort of a, it's a classic sort of or it's a new spin on the classic kind of sort of teen slasher movie it's called talk to me it's an australian movie uh by first-time filmmakers danny and michael Filippou, and it's caused quite a sensation on the uh, festival circuit i think it premiered at uh either sundance or south by southwest one of those sort of big indie f festivals early in the year and people have been raving about it ever since so this has been on my radar for you know a little while now and essentially it's you know set in contemporary uh sort of suburban australia and is about a group of high school teenagers who get their kicks by uh allowing themselves to become uh possessed by a demon as you do essentially what yeah what yeah a couple of the couple of the uh the guys they've got their hands on a sculpture of a of an open hand you know that's sort of put out, out towards you as if to shake your hand that if you if you put your hand in it and say the words talk to me a a dead spirit will appear in front of you apparently it's different every time so you don't quite know what you're going to uh, be be faced with and then if you say the words i let you in yeah. you will then become possessed by that spirit now it could be you know a fairly uh, innocuous spirit or it could be you know something quite crazy and what they have, what they've done is they've made a kind of game of it where whoever the volunteer is they will strap you into a chair Mm. They will put you down in front of it, and then you have to do the thing, and you will become possessed by the by the demon. You'll be sat there in the chair, strapped up, and then after they've worked out that after ninety seconds, uh, they can blow out this candle, let you out, let let the spirit out, and you'll be okay. But if it goes over ninety seconds, th then you're in trouble. And guess and what? And of happens? course, it all goes um, wrong. Yes. <laughs> it all goes horribly wrong, and uh, you know, as all good horror movies should. Uh, the main character is a. Um, a, a grieving young teenage girl called Mia, played by Sophia, Sophie Wilde, who I haven't seen in anything before, and she is quite fantastic, actually, and I hope we're going to see a lot more of her. Uh, she It's the second anniversary of the, the death of her mother, and she's still wrestling with that. Uh, she's not quite sure how to channel 
uh, the, these emotions. And so when she is invited, and she's a bit of an outcast as well. The other kids don't really sort of like her too much. And she gets sort of bullied a bit as well. And when she's, her and uh, her best friend and her best friend's younger brother are invited to one of these parties and they have to sneak out of the house late at night. Uh, she volunteers to do it and then kind of becomes addicted to it and resolves to search for her mother using this mm. device. Um, obviously everything goes horribly wrong and, uh, she becomes sort of ad- addicted to it. Uh, there's a quite, so what are sorts of spirits are we thinking about then? They're all different spirits. When you shake the hand, you get a different one. It's random, is it? It's, it's completely random. Uh, or as far as they understand it, it's completely random. Uh, and it's just, as you shake the hand of this, of this sort of sculpture in yeah. front of you, um, just a dead person appears in front of you. And only you can see that dead person okay. as, as you, as long as you are holding on to that. So yeah, so they are, they sit in a sort of circle. They sit around the person and so they can't see what's going on. All they can see are how your behavior and your appearance changes once the spirit has sort of taken control of you and, and that's why they all think it's great you know they're all filming it on their phones and live streaming it and all the rest of it but then it goes horribly wrong the movie opens with kind of you know a sequence a sequence at a party that is one of the most sort of shocking uh sort of an entertaining horror openings i've seen in quite some time and it really kind of sets the mood you're like oh okay they're not messing around with this movie this is going to be some bloodthirsty we're talking bloodthirsty I mean, blood yeah, yeah absolutely bloodthirsty huh. hardcore stuff but in but in a fun way it these this is a movie clearly made by people who really love the genre and understand what people like about it hmm. so it, it it goes for it it doesn't hold back in terms of sort of the gratuitousness but it's done with a kind of sense of fun dare i say you know, it's not it's not funny, but it's fun. You know, so if you're into, I, if you like I, a good, I can never put like I can never put horror and fun together, but I guess you can. Oh, oh you know, you must understand that, that you know there is a, a huge crowd of people that you know nothing is more entertaining than going on a Friday night. It's like doing a roller coaster or something. You know, Friday night you just want to be scared, you want to be grossed out by just watching something completely ridiculous and over the top. And this movie really kind of understands that, and it builds towards an ending that is uh that is, is kind of pitch perfect and you're like oh okay i clearly see what they're doing it will lead to more hopefully and i think a second film has already been green lit because the response to this one has been so successful okay if there is a if there is a failing in this movie it's that at times it does feel like um the idea doesn't quite uh can't quite stretch to feature length by the second half, you're you're like, okay, you've got a good idea here, but you're not entirely sure uh, what to do with it. Once you know, once everybody has gone as far as they can, and they're in as much jeopardy and peril as they can, you know where you want to get to. You know how it's going to end, and, it, and like I said, it ends spot on. You know, you're like, okay, great. You know, they 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 get it. They see what the potential of this material is. But you, it kind of is about an hour's worth of material stretched mm. to about ninety-five. Minutes. It sounds to me a bit like, like a, it sounds a bit to me a bit like a a song with a hook, and you can only have the hook mm. about three times. And once you've done the hook three times, you've got to end the song. And it, this 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 gimmick of of the shaking of the hands and the spirit coming—that's that's it, really. That's the thing, isn't it? And I suppose they do it several times, and then there's, you can't really do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, the the way you get some mileage out of it is that different characters do it. You know, and their response to it is different. You know, some are, are completely uh, upset by it and traumatized by it and don't ever want to do it again. And others, you know, can't stop doing it and want to do it again and again and again. And like I said, other characters 
try try to explore whatever world they have become connected with you know for their own personal sort of reasons and so you know mm. it does that to, to fairly good degree but it does at times feel like okay this was this is a short film that you've stretched to feature length when but, you say it's an australian said, uh, when you say it's an australian movie yes. I, I don't want to be rude about australian movies but I don't know. Australian movies have a sense of they're sort of independent movies, maybe made on a relatively small budget. Is that noticeable? Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think of it like that, or or is it comparable with a with a Hollywood horror flick? I think all of that is fairly legitimate. You know, I think for a long time Australian films were, and British films could be kind of lumped together. You know, when they were trying to do something outside of their wheelhouse that wasn't sort of a period drama uh, or like an Agatha Christie movie or something, then it, you could see kind of the the frayed rough edges. Um, what I will say is, that, you know, Australia has been building up a pretty good. Uh, reputation for horror movies in recent years. There was a movie that came out during lockdown called Relic, which was one of my favourite movies of 2020. Uh, the Babadook uh, was another great Australian horror movie from about 10 years ago, and I think some of the producers are the same. I think there is some, some mm. executive level overlap here with that. Um, but there has always been a very sort of strong indie scene in in Australia, and so it feels it feels like a smaller movie for sure. But then this kind of horror movie tends to be on the smaller scale anyway. And I, th- I don't think it's uh, in any way a hindrance to it. I do mm. just want to give a quick shout out to Miranda Otto, who is an actress who ha- who has crossed over and you have seen her in stuff in bigger Hollywood movies uh, for many years, who plays the mother in this. And she is the one of the best no nonsense single parents i have seen in a movie who is taking none of none of these kids nonsense uh again and again and again and she's absolutely brilliant every scene she's in she absolutely steals it away from these uh from these teenagers Fabulous. who are of course mm, the focus, mm, focus. Mm. so she's brilliant um thumbs so up, yes thumbs down. if if you're a horror fan definite thumbs up if, if you are squeamish then approach with caution. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Um, that is talk to me. Okay, let's kick it on because I think you've got a couple others to, to get in there. What's what's next? Okay, uh, there's a Hong Kong movie out called Back Home, also mm. a horror movie. Um, as the title might suggest, it's about a young lad who's been living overseas in Canada for a long time. Uh, his mother, his mother, played by Bai Ling, gets very sick, and so he has to come back to Hong Kong. Uh, and he very quickly realizes that the city has changed, and it, that he does not recognize the city as the one that he grew up in as a as a child. Uh, he is played. Hong Wing is played by Anson Kong, who is a member of Mira. We're seeing a lot of members of this, you know, boy band supergroup, <laughs> surprise, of which surprise. there are. I, I lose count of how many members of Mira there are actually are, about 12, I think. I think they've been um, copying, more, the, copying the Japanese, and the Japanese now have some of these groups which are up to 48 members, I think. You know, I think uh, they, they come in, oh, they, yeah. they, they go, you know, it's it's It's, it's a like, like a that. factory, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's like a star factory. You know, obviously, like, Korea as well, BTS and uh, bands like I that. I suppose so, it's about driving the audience to, to come and see the movie then, isn't it, really? If you've got, if you got a, uh, a member of Mira in, your, your, your profits are going to be 30% more than if you didn't have a member of Mira in, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And it, well, if that's the model, it seems to be working. Like I said, you know, a number of them have popped up in local movies recently over the last few years, and they've they've created a number of homegrown hits. You know, this is another first time filmmaker, a young guy called Nate Key. It's his first movie. So essentially, he comes back and he has to live in the sort of dilapidated old apartment of, of his mother, uh, which he finds inherently spooky. You know, there are lots of sort of 
bumps and groans and you know uh scratching along the ceiling from the 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 upper floor which apparently has no one's been living in for a long long time there are kind of creepy neighbors that he keeps sort of spying through the uh the peephole and then when he opens the door they're not there and all these very sort of odd goings on now he apparently moved to canada years ago because he had some kind of extrasensory perception he had some kind of sort of power where he could connect to the spirit world mentally and uh so it was 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 uh was sent away to kind of get you know shake all that off and when he comes back those spidey senses start tingling yet again uh and then he's he slowly realizes that the, the community that lives in this building um are very friendly and welcoming and nurturing, but almost too much, perhaps. They might be kind of almost enveloping him in a kind of cult-like uh, sort of uh, community. Mm. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's it's a first movie. You know, you're asking questions about Talk To Me, whether it was all a bit sort of rough around the edges and, and uh, you know, exposed its budgetary limitations. I think you can level those criticisms at this movie, uh, it's you know it feels like a first film. It's it's a bit too long. It's a bit too baggy. There are too many kind of red herrings and uh, uh, aesthetic cul-de-sacs. You know, there are, it's like he's like, okay, I'm making a horror movie. I need to put this, 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 and this in it. But they don't really amount to very much. You know. However, I think the ideas behind the film, uh, the, the the tone of the film, some of the performances, actually even from Anson Kong, uh, aren't bad at all. Uh, so he's definitely going to be a filmmaker to watch. And obviously it's yet another of these local films that, you know, is kind of about one thing, but is also kind of about another thing. Uh, and it's, you know, it's exploring, um, you know, what, what it means to come back. If you've been away from Hong Kong for a long time, coming back to it now, and to what degree do you still recognize this as the city that it was? And how has the city changed? Mm. How has the community and the sensibilities changed? And it's weighing those things up from the perspective of, a younger generation mm. and of course you know and, you, and you're seeing that kind of thing sort of bubble under the surface of a lot of these local films right now so it's just i think it's a, just a really interesting time so what about stories um, being told. what about An anson kong the this member of mirror uh, what was his performance like where, where, how would you rate it because uh, uh, you know singers celebrities aren't noted for their uh, uh, no. their acting abilities uh, often no, I mean, that, that's fair. I mean, Hong Kong actually is one of those interesting places where you do get a lot of, uh, artists, performers who are, who, um, are, what, what do you call them? Like a multi-hyphenate, multi. if mm, you like. Yeah. You know, who, who do do a bit more. You do get a lot more sort of actors who sing or vice versa here than you do in, in a number of other industries. Um, fortunately for Anson, his character is required to, you know, just, wander around and look slightly perturbed most of the time without sort of really having to deliver sort of rousing speeches or, or, or anything like that. Um, what I will say is that the filmmaker, he, he is clearly a fan of cont you know, contemporary uh, horror movies, films like Hereditary, Midsommar, Get Out, movies like that are clearly referenced, but there is also... Um, a real sort of old traditional flavor of sort of Hong Kong heritage, culture, cinema, um, the the inherent spookiness of kind of Cantonese opera characters, mm. and and that whole that whole vibe is uh, is played up as well. Mm. So mm. Uh, so I think there's a lot going on. It's a movie that shows a lot of promise, even if it doesn't uh, land all of its punches, mm. if you like. Mm. And so I will be very interested to see how Nate Key, the director, does. Uh, going forward, you know, I think it's been uh, 
critically fairly well received and so i think he, he should he should be able to get whatever his next project is off the ground uh, fairly quickly anson kong i don't think is about to win any acting awards uh but you know bless him you know let's let's he's not bless the worst him. bless him why not <laughs> bless him well tried you know good for you good oh what, for a, you. what a put down <laughs> but then but what smartly you know he's surrounded by much stronger act, actors you know tai bo sure. is in there bai ling is in there tam ying is in there you know older veteran character players you know that we that can do this stuff in their sleep and uh and it, you know and it and it goes to some interesting places you know by the end you're kind of like oh okay you know he actually had uh you know an interesting kind of horror story to tell in there and it's it's frustrating in a way trying to review it because that's the most interesting stuff the most interesting stuff in the movie is where it goes at the end but obviously i can't, hmm. can't oh, talk about that don't do that all right good um no, and yeah, I'm gonna spoil. yeah yeah don't 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 ruin it for everybody <laughs> um uh, uh let's let's finish it off then with a quick yep. one you've got one more to squeeze in in a couple of minutes what what, what yeah, is it this is this is a very quick one okay this is called el conde which is uh, the count as mm. in kind of count dracula if you like uh, this is a new film for pablo lorraine who is a um uh, Chilean filmmaker who most recently is probably known for his movie Spencer about Princess Diana, starring mm. Kristen Stewart, and Jackie, right. starring Nat- oh, uh, Natalie okay. Portman. Oh, so he's done he's done these sort of big, uh, high profile English language uh, sort of biopics of of sort of tragic women. Uh, before that, however, he made his name back in Chile making these very politically. Um, engaged movies about life in Chile under Pinochet in the in the sort of 70s and 80s a movie like Tony Monero which is named after the main character in Saturday Night Fever is a chilling chilling movie uh also he did No starring Gael Garcia Bernal which was all about the sort of the elections uh in Chile so he's quite a you know story director now and he here he's going back to Chile uh and he's essentially uh looking at the uh, Augusto Pinochet you know, the dictator who died in 2005 or six, whatever, uh, as if he was a 250 year old vampire. No. So who was quite, who was quite literally sucking the life out of his country, you know, and it's the, and it poses the question. So what if he didn't die? What if he's still alive? And because he's a vampire, he is sort of invincible, if you like, immortal. And he's, he's come to the end of his, of his life and he's decided, I want to finally die now. And he has his sort of half a dozen, um, adult children around him who are all trying to uh, get their piece of of this empire that he has built over time mm. um it's a kind of really interesting idea it's shot in black and white but they, its tongue is kind of in its cheek it's it's not taking itself or the situation too seriously but it is kind of being respectful of the fact he was an absolute monster right pinochet was an absolute monster. but he's like yes that's the point i'm trying to make he was literally an absolute monster and you follow him uh apparently he re- he grew up in france during the uh the french revolution and he he flo- fled the country then and he ended up in south america where he am- started to amass his fortune take out his uh his political rivals and uh you know Claw his way to the top, basically, right. yes, yeah, sort of sucking the blood and chewing the hearts out of uh, any of anybody in his part. It strikes me that maybe this this could be a franchise. There are there are other dictators out there that they, <laughs> they could apply to, right? <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because uh, there was another Italian movie a, a couple of years ago called, uh, well, about ten years ago now, called Il Divo, which was um, uh, by Paolo Sorrentino, and it was about a who was the um, Italian prime minister who ended up 
serving about 10 terms because oh, he kept yes. rigging the elections. Um, yeah. uh, I can't remember his name now, but they played him almost like he was kind of Nosferatu. Mm. You know, like he, he mm. was kind of the same kind of thing mm. that he was, he was vampiric. He was, uh, be, you know, in some ways immortal. He was monstrous, mm. uh, and fiendish in, in very, very literal ways. Mm. So this is another one that, that on the one hand, it looks like a sort of political satire. On the other hand, it's quite grisly and gruesome. Uh, in in its moments as well. As I said, it's all shot in black and white, so it's trying to visually evoke all of those classic old universal horror movies, whilst uh, telling the story of um, of Chile and its suffering under uh, under the reign of Pinochet. Mm. Um, th- w- the one thing I want to say about it, which is great, is that it's narrated in English by a female voice, and and for like half the movie, I'm going. I recognized the voice, but I was looking up the actor, the actors and actresses. Like I couldn't find out who, uh, who it was, or the name wasn't ringing a bell. And I was like, I know the voice. I know the voice. And then in the second half of the movie, it is revealed mm. who within the story is narrating. And it's brilliant. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, but it's, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. You're like, that's you're so and what they do with that. You're so good at sucking, sucking us into the movie to find out these little gems that we we don't know. So we'll definitely go. And my work I is mean, done. It does. It does sound interesting, though, doesn't it? You know, surprise, surprise. But uh, um, yeah. definitely. I mean, he's been a director that's been on my radar for a long time. I mean, this just sounded so sort of out there. It sounded fantastic. Mm. It premiered at Venice just last mm. week, actually, mm. uh, because it's a Netflix project. It's now straight on Netflix as of three p.m. today. Okay. So. Uh, so check it out. It's, look, uh, look forward to it. Brilliant. Some uh, some good films uh, to, uh, from you today. Four of them, in fact. We had uh, uh, Haunting in Venice, Talk to Me Back Home, and El Conde the Count. James Ross is here every Friday lunchtime. James, you got a big weekend planned? Uh, I've got to catch up on some work. Like I said, I've been out of town for a while, so sadly. Movies to watch. Series. Movies to watch and uh, <laughs> things to write about. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll catch you next week. Take it easy. Thanks. James Marsh. Cheers. Thanks, James.